There was a study done um, at Stanford Business School. Their advisory council was asked, what's the number one skill that people need? to be successful in life. And this advisory council to the Stanford Business School said self-awareness. Now, I would have thought they would have said financial acumen or, you know, they just get things done, whatever. But they said self-awareness is the number one skill that propels people to success. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Fran Lamatina. Now, Fran is an executive coach and a faculty member with the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, and today we'll hear Fran's story, as well as the importance of what numerous studies have found to be the greatest determining factor in leadership success, emotional intelligence. My co-host, John Ramstead and Fran had an at-length discussion about it, so stay tuned. Here's our conversation with Fran Lamatina on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Fran, welcome to the podcast, Eternal Leadership. Thank you so much for making the time to come on today. Oh, it is my pleasure to be here, John. Thanks for uh, having me. Well, Fran, I, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your journey, and then we'll jump into a couple great topics. Well, thank you, John. I, I would say the beginning of my journey as a coach started when I worked uh, for a financial services company that some people may know, uh, Ronald Bluen Company. I was a partner over, over marketing and public relations, and I actually was mentored and coached by a gentleman who's no longer with us. He went to be with the Lord, but he really developed what he called in our firm the management language. And the management language was really a compilation of a lot of leadership principles and a lot of coaching principles and a lot of biblical principles. And we, it became our uh, guideline for working together. And there were about 25 partners at the time, and we would get together every Monday morning, and we would talk about one definition in the management language, and then um, this gentleman, Roy Ludwig, would coach us uh, as, our, as our manager. He took it upon himself to coach us, and um, I, in, that, in those three years of working with Roy, I learned more about myself, and I, and, and I remember he passed away at a very untimely age of 59 years old, and I remember praying and saying, Lord, what do I do with that? And it was, it, was, um, it was really clear to me that I needed to take the privilege I had of being coached and mentored by somebody that was a giant in the kingdom, as far as I was concerned, and try my best to begin to share that. And that was that was 16 years ago. I've been an executive coach those 16 years. And I would say that during these 16 years, I have learned more and done more, I think, contributed more to other people's lives than I did the previous 40 years of my life. So I am very, I'm a grateful recipient of coaching. So I know what it's like to, uh, to receive it. And I hope that I get better and better at getting it. Well, I, you know, from my opinion, Fran, I think you're one of the best. I, I know you're on faculty at the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, and I've taken two classes from you on leadership coaching and executive coaching, and it has made a bigger difference to who I am just as a person and my ability to, to serve others in a really meaningful way. So I just thank you for taking your focus off of you know, uh, your career and moving it into a focus on coaching and other people, because you are, you are moving people forward and making a difference. So thank you so oh. much. Well, I know what it feels like. And it's funny because when I, when a friend of mine, I, I mean, I prayed for two years before I went into coaching. I was, I was in corporate America for 20 years and I prayed and I said, you know, Lord, what, what did you put me on this earth to do? And, you know, 
like so many people, I was able to identify what I didn't want to do going forward, but I was, it was really difficult for me to identify what I did want to do. And a friend of mine who I had worked with uh, for years said to me, Fran, you should be a coach. That's just who you are. And I said, I don't even know what coaching is. So I went online and started investigating it. And I wasn't very uh, uh, good with online at that point. And um, just start, just looked up. At, there wasn't even a, a Christian coaching institute. There wasn't anything. There were two coaching schools at that time, Coach U and CTI, and I, I registered for Coach U, and the rest is history. I, it was like the next day I started. I, it was just like, this is what I've been born to do. But I remember uh, when, when my friend said that to me, I said, I said, you know what? This means I have to kind of decrease so other people would increase like Jesus did. And and I remember thinking, you know, that means I can't take credit. That means I have to be willing to not look for credit. And it means I just need to be in the background. And I was used to being in sales and, and executive, you know, executive uh, leadership. And, and, you know, I liked presenting and I liked being in the limelight. And um, I remember it took me two weeks two weeks of praying to say, yes, I can. And I, I feel like that was a very important step for me. I don't think everybody has to go through it, but it was for me because I had to really uh, decide that I was going to be uh, helping others uh, be better instead of looking for success in my, my own definition. Well, you know, it, you bring up two great points. The first one, you know, it's easy to identify what you don't want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I could, I could write down a list of that pretty quick. But what yeah. you really want out of life, something that, you know, aligns up with who you are and created to be and your values and, you know, this mystical calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I got clear on who I was and then where I wanted to go, uh, actually was a, a pretty uh, straightforward next step. But, mm-hmm. but you know, really, from a, a servant leadership, right? You talk about something as a leader, right? We like to take credit. And we, right. And, you know, you probably have clients that are CEO of a company, and they have a huge breakthrough and a huge business success. And you you know you are a big part of the, the awareness that, you know, led to that. Right. But you're in the background now. Right. And, right. And that's really, that's truly serving people. And you know, and I'm as human as anybody else. And sometimes when I see that person soaring, and they don't, they don't refer back to me, or they don't, they don't even acknowledge that something that I told them was was significant for them. You know, I'm I'm human like everybody else. I get a little twinge, and then I remind myself, you know, this is what you know. This is this is truly servant leadership, and this is you know, uh, this is what it is, and. Um, I'm just grateful to the Lord that he gives me the power to do that because um, I couldn't do it before I was a believer. I wasn't a believer until I was 27. And, you know, God's been sanctifying me over and over in so many different ways. In fact, I have a pastor who has been a client of mine for, I don't know, three or four years. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, Fran, I've just decided that you're just bringing me through through the sanctification process and you're not calling it that. I said, well, we're in it together. You know, we're just in it together. <laughs> well, you know, with this attitude, you've made a huge difference, both in corporate America and in ministry and with some very large churches. And and you can feel free to share that if you want. But, you know, there's there's something, Fran, you talked about um, that struck me. I have it written down. And I have it here in my office. And it was really about this whole concept of emotional intelligence. And you said that it's twice as important to have emotional intelligence as any other traditional leadership skill, 
in that if you are to be an effective leader and make a difference, you have to have developed that. I would love for you to share and do a little bit of teaching on this whole area of emotional intelligence, which I consider you an expert to be. Well, thank you. I, I think I have a long way to go, but the number one article on leadership with Harvard Business Review is a 1989 article by um, Daniel Goleman, who is one of the gurus of emotional intelligence, and it's called What Makes a Leader? And I use it very frequently when I work with uh, with teams of people because, you know, lots of people don't read books and just reading an article, this article is just crystal clear about emotional intelligence and people get it when they read it. And in there, he says that, you know, if you are emotionally intelligent, um, it's anywhere from a 35, a 35 to a 50% factor, meaning if you if you gain it, you're 35 to 50% more successful. But the converse is true. If you don't, you're 35 to 50% less effective. And years ago, when I started working uh, with Andy Stanley, who I think is one of the finest teachers on leadership there is, and I, I, I was able to go to um, a, a leader a leader. Uh, conference with Bill Hybels, and Bill Hybels has written some wonderful books on leadership as well. One of his books, Courageous Leadership, is just one of my favorites. But anyway, he said that we should spend 50% of our time on self-leadership. Well, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I, didn't, I had never even heard the word self-leadership. Now, I had been involved in self-leadership, but I didn't really know what the terminology was. So self-leadership is really leading ourselves. And how... I've come to the conclusion that if you don't have something for yourself, you have nothing to really give away, even if you give it away in the form of a question like like a good coach will. But, you know, I, you know, I was I, I just can tell you story after story about leaders who have not grown in a certain area and they just can't they can't develop their teams on it or whatever. So emotional intelligence is the core of that. And it starts with self-awareness. And self-awareness is the first of five tenets of emotional intelligence. There was a study done um, at, at Stanford uh, Business School. Their advisory council was asked, what's the number one skill that people need? to be successful in life. And this advisory council to the Stanford Business School said self-awareness. Now, I would have thought they would have said financial acumen or, you know, they just get things done, whatever. But they said self-awareness is the number one skill that propels people to success. So, well, Fran, that, Fran, when that, you're talking about self-awareness, how do you define yeah. that? So, self-awareness is being aware of what you are good at, what you're not good at, your strengths and your struggles, what you, what you, uh, what what kinds of things push your buttons? What kinds of things excite you? What kinds of things do you value? What kinds of things do you want to accomplish? What's on your bucket list? Whatever it is, it is what what the essence of you is. What 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 is you at your essence? You know, when we do exercise, we talk about your core. Self awareness is the core of us. Now, self awareness can take us a lifetime. I tell people I'm about fifty percent there, and I've been working on it for for over twenty years. The second part of emotional intelligence is self regulation. So, one of the things that I tease a lot of my clients about is, you know, if you're self-aware and you're not self-regulated, you're more miserable than you were before you were self-aware because you know now what you really need to regulate. And and I'll tell you how I first learned it. I when I when I was back at Ronald Blue and Company, one of the one of the other partners said to me one day, and this guy was a professional football player. He was, you know, I'm like this five foot three little person, and he's this big person. His his hand is the size of my head, and he said, <laughs> and he said to me, he said, Fran, when you leave lean forward, I know you're going to give me a zinger. 
And I backed up and I said, what does that mean? And, you know, I realized that when I do lean forward, I'm very intent. I'm very passionate. I'm probably not listening. I'm probably not really engaged with the other person. So that was the first real indicator of me that I, to me, that I had a lot of things I needed to regulate. So one of the things I have to regulate is my passion when I am passionate. And, you know, because sometimes that scares people. I'm a New York Italian woman, you know, I've got to kind of, you know, lower that, you know, um, subdue some of my passion. So, you know, self-regulation is knowing what things work for you and what things don't work for you and honing in on them to be more and more effective. You know, if you as a, as a, you know, just every, we all struggle with, with, Uh, exercise and eating right. You know, the self-regulation is, okay, what is my choice? Do do I want to look good and feel feel good or do I want that that taste right now? You know, that's that goes into self-regulation. Or do, you know, do I um is it is it helpful for me to to uh share my ideas right now? Like one of the things I learned in terms of self-awareness going through um assessments is that I'm very assertive. And sometimes I can just talk and talk and talk and not listen very well. So I'm aware of that and I regulate that. So, I make sure other I, people in the room do it. So question for you, don't mean to interrupt, but you know, yeah. as you become aware uh, of your strengths, right? Assertiveness and you know, I know you're an achiever and you're a goal setter and uh, no doubt that you you take, you if nobody's taking charge in a meeting, Fran's putting her hand up. Mm-hmm. So how do you regulate some of those behaviors, you know, yes. for people listening, but all, but stay authentic and true to really who you are? Well, you you just start thinking about other people first. Uh, you know, I was just working with a leader the other day and I said, when you go in a room, you should kind of assess how can you help the other people in the room be successful rather than you having the, the you know, the floor all the time or I say to myself, do I, do I really need to add to that? Is that, has that point been made well, or do I just want to speak up? You know, I, there are just so many ways that we regulate and, and it's a lifetime pursuit. One of the things I love about emotional intelligence is it's all learned behavior. So the authenticity of it to me comes from the spirit from which it, it generated. Okay. I think you could become very manipulative if you're emotionally intelligent. I also think you could become very, uh, very spiritually aware. In fact, I really think that emotional intelligence is spiritual maturity disguised for a secular world. So I, I think that self-awareness and self-regulation, self-regulation is really the biblical word of self-control. You know, how do you control yourself? How do you, how do you, you know, that 30 seconds to Jesus where you say, okay, I'm not going to indulge my, my flesh pattern. I'm going to choose to, uh, to do in this situation what Jesus would have done. I'm going to choose to highlight that other person rather than highlight myself. I'm going to choose to, um, to say something outside the room that might, you know, that I've not said to my boss already because I know that public loyalty gives me private leverage with with a leader. So I'm not going to bring something up in a room that I haven't discussed with a client leader in a business or in my old days in the workplace with my boss. I'm going to make sure I'm committed to other people looking good instead of me looking good. And that's a lifetime pursuit for most of us. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. It sounds like, you know, uh, how you use that information, right? The awareness, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the regulation, it's whether it's manipulation or authentic relationships really comes from a place of your heart and motivation. Yes. Yes. Which is the next tenet of emotional intelligence is motivation. And, you know, it's easy for us as Christians to think about how we're supposed to work as unto the Lord and we're supposed to do our job well and we're supposed to, you know, support our employers and be, you know, be be submissive to our masters. But I think the really big indicator of motivation is if we're discouraged, if something happens in our lives that, you know, kind of gets us off our horse, how do we get back on again? And how can we be motivated when you know, our parents get divorced or we get divorced or we lose our job or, you know, somebody does something to us that's really nasty. I mean, I remember several years ago, somebody disappointed me really seriously and I I had to really take it before the Lord. You know, I tell people that sometimes I'm a quiet time away from giving them an answer on something, but sometimes I'm many quiet times away. In this case, I was many quiet times away. And as I processed it, I just realized that, you know what, this person did disappoint me and I need to grieve it. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we don't even give ourselves permission to grieve. But I had to grieve it. But then I just, you know, as I was grieving it, the thought came to me that, you know what, this person definitely disappointed me. But, you know, if I look back on my life, I've probably disappointed myself more than anybody could disappoint me. So it was <laughs> yeah, a very I can humbling, relate to that. It was a very humbling kind of thing, but it just it was like forgiveness happened immediately and I was able to move on and I can see this person and love that person and it was so it was just an it was just the work of God in my life. But you talk about authenticity. It was really, you know, I had to, you know, lay myself bare before the Lord and do that. And I that's why I say you can't give what you don't have. You can't use these illustrations without yourself growing. And there are so many areas I haven't grown in, but when I have, it's amazing how God, God allows me to use them. So you want the last two? Well, you know, before we get that, because the, the first three of emotional intelligence really talk about working on, you know, ourselves as a, a as a person, right? It's right. that self piece. What are, you know, before we get into kind of how to take that out into uh, our life, right? As we're looking inside, what are what are some things that you have found helpful working with your clients and teaching this to people to bring you know awareness to these areas? Uh, you, you said this is a learned skill. How would how do you learn it? How do you grow in these areas so that you can really kind of then go to the next level? Well, uh, you know, and and we have to kind of be students of ourselves. We have to be students of ourselves and of the people around us that are important. And I often say that. Most people are students of their boss, and they may be students of their direct reports if they're good people developers, but very few people are students of their peers, and they need to be just as much a student of their peers because in the end, it's their peers that help them be just as successful as their direct reports of their bosses. So, you know, being student of that, I think, is really important. But just the other day, I was having a conversation with a, with, with a, with a young leader who is really, really taking this stuff seriously. He's taking emotional intelligence seriously. He's taking the seven habits of highly effective people seriously. He's taking Andy Stanley's teaching seriously, John Maxwell's. He's really, he's really a growing leader. And um, he was talking about, uh, his boss was giving him some feedback about how he powers up. And um, he does power up. I mean, he's a strong leader. And, you know, sometimes I think that str- the strong among us need more more coaching than those who are flexible and easy to get along with and accommodating because the strong among among us, we're kind of out there and 
we're large and in charge, and we don't even realize the carnage that we leave behind us. But anyway, this young man was, his boss was kind of talking to him about how he loses influence when he powers up. And he was talking about how he powers up because he feels like he's not, he's not being effective in convincing his boss of what he's trying to sell him, basically. And we just kind of laughed. And, and I said, so what do you think that's based in? He goes, oh, I'm sure it's based in insecurity. I said, everything's based in insecurity. But what do you think that right there is more, you know, what's more actionable for you? Because, you know, we can all talk about insecurity and it's difficult. You have to work hard to get that actionable. But, you know, he talked about how he's he can... Um, we, we, we just talked about how he, he realized that he wasn't getting his way. And, you know, there's that scripture verse, I believe it's in James, about, you know, why do you quarrel and why do you disagree with each other? And, you know, it's all based in the fact that, you know, because you don't get your own way. And I've really been pondering that. In fact, you know, that's probably something I've pondered a lot this year. When I get frustrated... When I get, you know, in a bad mood, and I'm embarrassed to say that I do that, but I still do it, you know, I think that the, uh, the test of becoming more emotionally mature and emotionally intelligent is that those, those times last, last um, short, they're shorter and shorter in duration, and they happen fewer and fewer times. But the fact that we think they may go away, I just don't think that we, they are. But anyway, I'm just learning that when I get in those places, it's usually when I'm not getting my own way, and I just have to surrender it to the Lord. And mutual submission to me, you know, I, I grew up in the days of the women's movement, and, you know, and I, I've really had to struggle with that term submission. And I've really, you know, the Lord has really brought me to a place of where I'm settled. And, I, and I'm settled on the fact that we all need to grow to be mutually submissive. We need to be looking out for the best in other people, and we need to be willing to give it to them when they need it. You know, that, that's interesting. So what you're really talking about is how do you, like this young man, right? All, mm. all this learning that he's doing, right? He's coaching with you. He's reading the books. He's, uh, but it's really the, the, the bridge from learning in theory into application, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's where Andy Stanley and, you know, being around him for the last uh, 20 years as I have been, that's really, he talks about practical teaching. He talks about applying it. You know, some people get frustrated with him because he tries to hone in on one idea. But, you know, if you're trying to apply something, it takes a long time and it is a one idea kind of thing. You know, memorizing scripture doesn't get us where we need to be, but meditating on scripture and applying it, that's where we really make pushes and that's where we really grow in emotional intelligence. You know, that, that's a good point. If you just read a scripture verse, but you don't think about what that means to you, how you can bring that out into your life, it, it doesn't have any impact. There's no, there's nothing lasting with that. Right. And I, I believe that's what Jesus meant about whitewashed tombs and, you know, the Pharisees and all of that. You know, they know it. They had, they can memorize it, you know, and, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, misstate that because I mean, I've done lots of Beth Moore studies and lots of other studies over my lifetime and I've memorized plenty of scripture, but, and I, and I'm grateful for it. I mean, you know, those disciplines are really key in my life, but I've just learned over the years that I just can't memorize them. I've, while I'm memorizing them, I've got to be meditating on them. I've got to be saying, Lord, where in my life is this not showing up or where am I not listening to you in this area? Well, in what you're talking about now, Fran, is really that, you know, that self-awareness, that regulation, you know, it gets to the, the motivation piece. You're looking at really where is my heart, where am I coming from, 
And as people, you know, mature in those areas uh, and grow, you know, how do you then take that from the inside out and then make a difference around you? What's what's the kind of the next step? Of so, this? The, so the next two areas of emotional intelligence are about how we interface with other people. The first area is empathy. Okay. You know, and empathy, you know, all of the writing says that that business leaders in particular, and I, I would even say pastors, because I work with a lot of pastors too. Um, we, when we're, when we're um, making things happen and we, we see ourselves as change agents, a lot of times we're not the empathy people because in order to facilitate change, you've got to think in the logical mode. Sometimes you've got to be detached from people's emotions. But, you know, you've also got to have people around you that have that wiring. You know, I've learned over the years that I'm not wired that way. And I've learned that if I, if I here's a self-regulation for me in terms of my, my own awareness awareness of not being highly empathetic because you know I I grew up in you know in the school of suck it up and move on you know and and it's it's been good for me and I you know it's really been good for me it was good for me from business school on you know and um, but but what it does is it makes me a little bit oblivious sometimes a lot oblivious to to other people who are not that way people who are feelers you know they just have a hard time moving forward on something than those of us who are thinkers who who just can process everything from a logical perspective but what I've learned is to surround myself with people who are who are uh, very empathetic too and you know I'll say to somebody who I know is what am I missing in this equation you know getting that counsel from other people. The other thing I've learned to do, and this is, you know, this is really part of my coaching training and I and how I appreciate it so much is I've learned to listen and I've learned to ask questions and be really curious about other people. And that doesn't make me empathetic. You know, in my heart, you know, I'm not sitting there feeling that other person's pain like, you know, sympathetic and compassionate people do. But I'm trying to understand. And, you know, if we know the seven habits of highly effective people and we think about seeking first to understand, you know, we are all naturally people who want to seek for first to be understood. So coming up with that understanding and looking at the other person and really studying them and trying to understand them and listen to them. What I have found is if I listen well and if I ask questions that that kind of camp on to what other people are saying, they feel empathy. They feel cared about. They feel like even though I'm not approaching them from this, you know, heart to heart, you know, uh, laughing when you laugh and crying when you cry, they're feeling understood. And that, I think, is the biggest part of empathy. Well, isn't that a big role of the questions that you ask people? Because you want to really, if you're doing it from a sincere heart, you're yes. doing it because you want to truly understand why that person either said that or has that position or point of view. Right. So you can put yourself in, in their shoes because that leads to a, a much more trusting and, and productive conversation that you can have with people. Yes, Yes. And, and it, and it really takes being interested in other people and caring about other people. And it's just, you know, it's just part of all of our growth along the journey of putting other people, uh, first, instead of putting ourselves first, serving them. You know, I have just learned that listening and asking questions is really serving people in, in, in the truest sense of the word. So what, what's the next step here, Fran? I, I, so, so I've the developed last empathy. I'm, I'm getting better at asking <laughs> questions. So the last part is social skill or some, you know, some people call it organization skill. 
Now, you know, by the way, over the years, um, Goldman has, has consolidated these into four of them. And I think, the, I think he's put motivation into, into some of the other areas. But the social skill or, or organization skill is taking all four of the previous ones, the self-awareness, the self-regulation, the motivation, the empathy, and employing those into an organization or into a family system or into a community and moving the ball down the down the court faster because because when you are self-aware you're you're bringing um yourself into the room in a way that's effective to collaborate to get other people to input you're not you're not going in for your own your own satisfaction you're going in to to make happen what you think needs to happen then you self-regulate and you know if somebody in the room perturbs you or if somebody in the room is is not not um on board, you 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 figure out how to help them get on board. You use those skills to bring them out. You know, you use your motivation. Where if somebody in the room is not um, necessarily bought in, you you back off and you use that authentic transparency or whatever. And you say you may say you may put yourself in as an example and say, you know, in the beginning when this this project first came up, I really didn't think it was that great. Uh, I didn't think it was going to accomplish anything, everything. Let's just back up and look at some of those things and, you know, try to put yourself in the shoes of the person that's not bought in and use yourself as, as perhaps the guinea pig in that. Or with empathy, you may, you may see somebody that, um, you know, sometimes we've got to just be empathetic when somebody's going through a really tough time. Like you just told me about your friend whose wife is ill. I mean, Sometimes the empathy is saying, you know, this person right now is, I, I need to give that person grace. I need to, I need to not expect that person to work his normal hours because he's got too much going on at home and say that up front. I remember I had a, a, a young, um, uh, a, a young executive assistant one time and she was getting married and I, and I realized that just before her um, I had had another young young leader who, who was getting getting married and I realized, I said, you know what, I'm going to tell this person while she's preparing for her wedding, I'm going to give her an hour a day to work on her wedding so that I don't walk, because I had walked in somebody's room one time and she was on the phone with the florist and she was guilty when I walked in because, you know, she was not working. And I just said, I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to say, take an hour a day. And I found that that helped that person to be focused, to make appointments that she needed to make and to really do her job much better than the other one who I didn't give that permission to. So that social skill just enables you to be aware of other people's needs and give it to them so that in reality, in the end, they will perform better. Does that make sense? You know, it makes total sense. So, you know, here's my question, right? People are, you know, as you're listening to this and you're, and you're I'm thinking about emotional intelligence and I have uh, developed, you know, self-awareness of who I am and empathy with people on my team, but I still, there's differing opinions. There's people that are looking at different directions, but as a leader of a team now, Fran, there's times where you just have to make a decision and take people from disparate points of view and, and, and different uh, goals and objectives, but you have to move them forward. So right. what does that look like as a leader who's developing these skills, but now you're, man- you're managing a team of, of people, and, right. and how, do you, how do you do that well? Well, and it depends on where everybody is. You know, I love what Andy has taught uh, 
in his in his material. He says, you know, you don't make rules; you have conversations. And I I think you have conversations, perhaps, with the person who's not on board first to, to determine why. I mean, I think one of the greatest tools of a leader is to have one on one meetings with their team on a regular basis and and individuals on their team to keep the relational side elevated and to also understand if there are any things that they need to remove from that person's line of sight, so to speak, to get their job done. But but I, I think that, that really I love Lencioni's new tool, The Five Behaviors of a Cohesive Team, because he talks in there about how to get commitment, how to, how to improve accountability, and, of course, how to have productive conflict. And I think a lot of teams don't have some of that productive conflict that leads to the commitment, the accountability, and the exceptional results. And... You know, you've got to go through that relational, all those relational deposits to go back to the covey with, you know, with with uh, being proactive and all of that. But, you know, making relational deposits with people, helping, you know, helping everybody in the team know what the strengths and struggles are of the individuals in the, in the room, you know, and and, and allowing people to express their their different opinions and not not um, not just uh, dis, just. Dis, What's the word I'm trying to I'm trying to get? Uh, dismissing them before they say them. I think a lot of uh, uh, leaders don't listen to the people to hear their their disputes, so that they could talk about those disputes and and either win the room over or get that person to buy in. But you know, I love what Lencioni says in his five behaviors. You know, it doesn't mean consensus that you're going to move move forward. It means agreement and the person that might be disagreeing has agreed to follow what the rest of the team is and that's part of the commitment structure where you don't always get your way and we all like our own way all the time. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that cuz um you know, I've been on teams that are very functional and you know, some were it's it's it seems like it's almost impossible to accomplish anything, and a lot of that comes from you know being able to air your opinions, have that conflict mm-hmm. you talked about, and I think the foundational principle to even start is the the trust that the team has. Yes, how yes. View, you know how people view each other, right? right. You know, who are my peers? Who am I really being accountable with? You know, as you work with and you've worked with many teams, Fran. What what are some th- practical steps to move forward as a leader developing trust in the team so you can have those conflicts and you can air everything out so when somebody does make a decision even if I might not be in agreement I can be in alignment with the direction the team wants to go right well, I think it really starts with seeing what everybody's strengths is, strengths are and making sure that people are on the right seat on the bus. You know, we haven't talked about Jim Collins yet. You know, of course, good to great and, you know, built to last and all of the stuff that he's written over the years is fantastic. But, you know, he talks about the right, per, you know, the person on the right seat on the bus. And when I start working with clients, I find that a lot of times they've not used any assessments in hiring. They've not really done any kind of developmental work in their teams. And there's there's nothing there that that is um, is is the uh, foundation to work on. So getting that done, I think, is really important. Understanding people's strengths. What I find, if you don't do any kind of teamwork in, in assessments, 
what happens is we all think that the other person is acting toward us in a way that is personal rather than just who they are. So if I understand, John, that you're the kind of person that's very, very organized and you have to have a plan every time, and I'm a spontaneous person and I like to do the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing instead of beginning with the end in mind, I might take that personally when you don't like the way I work. Instead, if I, if I know how you are, I can say, oh, that's the way John does now. John is probably really going to be the great leader on this project. I need to go along with what he does here because that's going to get us the furthest, fastest. You know, that's a really interesting concept. So it's really shifting your mindset. It's kind of back to empathy, right? If I have a deep understanding of the people on my team and their values and their story and who they are as a person, I can understand where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing. So it's not, it's not them, uh, uh, trying to trying to you know cause you not to be successful you know because that's what we think right or you know i might you know see them as you know why are they getting in my way why, yes. can't, why can't they just yes. understand what i'm trying to say yes. i'm so frustrated with that person yes and they may see the world totally differently and they they might view me the exact same way but i'm not if i'm not in that trusting mode i'm not seeing that and that's why doing you know assessments is, are so important Another thing that's really important for some, some leaders, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, self-awareness, but a 360 um, assessment is really important for some, some leaders to get that self-awareness. And a 360 assessment is when you ask your boss, your direct reports, your peers, your, your you know, community or spouse or family to rate you on certain things in your life to where you have feedback of how you're coming across, what's kind of your brand in the end. Um, and I find that a lot of people, it, take, it, takes, it takes courage to do it. Some people don't have the option of whether they're going to demonstrate courage or not because their company requires it. But I have found that if people take these 360s and really take them seriously, it can be a great gift. But it's hard. Uh, it's hard to uh, really do that. I mean, one of the areas I have found over the years in using hundreds of 360s is that there's an, there's an indicator on the one that I use that says helps others adapt to change. And I see consistently across the board that that's one of the lowest areas that people uh, are rated high. You know, they're usually very low in that. And, um, and I think that that's a big problem because most of the time, particularly in the high technology, global, you know, just changing world that we all live in, if you're not good at helping people adapt to change, you've got to develop some skills around that. So when I work with people and that comes out low, we come up with some action items on how they're going to do that, what kinds of things they need to do to help their, their teams adapt to change. Well, I think, you know, one of the true hallmarks of a, of a good leader, Fran, is somebody who can actually manage change as it goes yes. through an organization. You know, yes. there's a yes. lot of people that can manage people and processes and, and reports. Yes. But it's really, you know, when change happens is really when you need these skills. And that's when the good leaders rise to the top, because that's right. what really affects true results and true growth, I think, in an organization. Right. And in the end, the people that can't respond to change are pretty much across the board, the people that get downsized. Well, I've seen that in real life many times, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, not all the time, but, you know, it, when, the, when the organization is moving, you know, it, it is very hard for people who, who take a long time to adapt to change. So, you know, um, if, if you have somebody that you're coaching and it shows that, you know, 
I, you know, when somebody told me the other day, Fran, you always go into the danger, you know, if, if we go into the danger with that person and say, hey, this is really going to hurt your influence. This is really going to hurt you in getting promoted. Let's talk about this because if we don't address it, it's the elephant in the room and it's the emperor that has no clothes on and it's all those kinds of things that cause people to lose their footing in their in their careers. You know, that's a great point because, you know, when the leadership team gets together and just talks about, you know, who's next, who do we move into what seat, who do we move up? Right. It's all these little things that come up. And if you don't have awareness of it, uh, you're going to you're not going to have opportunities. And it might really surprise you that you weren't, you know, maybe that's happened. It's happened to me. I've been passed over for things in the past. And looking back on it, it was things like this because I I wasn't mature in a lot of these areas. And it was coming across to people and I didn't even know it. But nobody ever took the time to sit down with me and say, hey, John, you know, this is a problem with how you're working with the team. And, you know, Fran, we're, we're about to wrap up here, you know, as yes. you know, what we've talked about here, you know, uh, servant leadership, emotional intelligence, getting better, building trust in your team. You know, somebody's driving to work today or coming home, they're listening to this podcast. What are the last couple of thoughts you would leave with them to help them take some of this and apply it in their life and move forward? Well, I think that sometimes, particularly people who are believers, think that becoming self-aware is, means that you're self, that you're idolatrous about yourself. I think that what we want to do is become self-aware so that we can give ourselves away, so that all of our own vows that we've made and all of our own idiosyncrasies and brokennesses and whatever we've taken up along the way, um, that we can surrender those to the Lord, we can give them, them to Him, and we can just trust entrust them to Him so that we can operate on an emotionally neutral level and really become the leaders that He designed us for, to be. Well, that is a powerful way to wrap up, friend. You're just talking about how do you bring that personal relationship into that, you know, that motivation, that mindset, that heart as you shift and move toward uh, you know, Fran, I, I know how busy you are as a coach. Uh, is there a way people can get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more or, or uh, maybe even possibly work with you? Sure. Well, thank you very much for that, John. I mean, my uh, my email is fran at strategiesforgreatness.com. That's the name of my business. I don't have a website. Um, once again, F-R-A-N at strategies, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S for for not not the letter not the number and then just greatness but thank you well i'll make sure i put that in the post in our show notes and fran thank you so much for taking the time today this was fantastic teaching and i know you help move people forward so well thank you for the opportunity if you want to hear more information about fran her coaching etc just go to eternalleadership.com slash zero two three eternalleadership.com slash zero two three there in the show notes we'll have links information on how to connect with fran that's all at eternalleadership.com slash zero two three there's also a link embedded in this mp3 if you're listening on your smartphone tablet or computer just if you're driving please pull over before you go hunting for that link Special thanks to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production help. If you've got any guest ideas, any topic ideas, any feedback you'd like to give us, if you'd like John as your executive coach, there are ways you can contact us. 
You can go to facebook.com slash eternal leadership and send us a message there. You can start a conversation with us over Twitter at eternal leaders or email us john at eternal leadership.com or steve at eternal leadership.com. We'd love to hear from you. Next time on Eternal Leadership, former mobster Michael Francis. And I tell people now, you know, I have drug addicts. I have business guys that come to me and say they've done shady things in the past. I've had people have done some, you know, pretty, pretty dark things. And I tell them, you know, who better than you if you've been through something to be able to minister to something, somebody that's going through that now? You know, I always believe that, you know, credibility is about 90% of everything in life. And when you're credible, people listen. Michael shares his amazing story of how he got into the mob, out of the mob, and talks about his new film being released in theaters, God the Father. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.